One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. So today, I'm very lucky to have here in our studio the lovely Jade and her mother Claire. Jade, you were part of a BBC Two documentary that goes out this week called Girls on the Edge, which is about young girls who have been sectioned under the Mental Health Act and the effect that has on their families. Mm -hmm. Now, we're going to talk a bit about that. It's really great to have you here. I really appreciate you coming in and chatting to us. It's a brave thing to do. And... We need more people like you to kind of take the plunge and talk honestly about what is a reality of life and something that we all need to kind of accept and face up to. Jade, how old are you? Can I just start with? I'm 18. You're 18. Okay. We start each podcast with the same question, Mm -hmm. which is, how are you right now? Like, really? Because, you know, we ask, how are you? A million times a day we say, how are you? We go, yeah, fine, when actually sometimes deep down inside they're completely crying to get out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they're brilliant by the same token and we don't ever talk about it. So Mm -hmm. how are you right now, Jade? I'm struggling a little bit. You're struggling? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to talk a bit about that? I don't mind. <laughs> don't mind. So why don't we talk about your story and what it is you struggle with? Uh-huh. So I struggle, well, the diagnosis that I struggle with is schizotypal personality disorder okay. with depressive episode and OCD as well. Okay. It's kind of more on the paranoid thoughts kind of thing. I don't really know how to explain it. Well, <laughs> tell me, when did you first experience it? Or is it just something you've always remembered? It's something which has been with me for a long time. I don't remember not experiencing these things, but this diagnosis was only brought to life to me after I was in hospital for nine months. Okay. Because um, they were flipping back between psychotic depression and personality disorder and just depressive episodes and then OCD as well. But then <laughs> one psychiatrist pulled out this information sheet and I never kind of related so much to what was said but it's really hard for me to kind of comprehend that that's actually what it is because whenever I say about it to anyone everyone goes what that's kind of like me because I don't really know how to explain it myself it's not so what was on the information sheet that you identified with so much um so it's things like again paranoid thoughts Mm -hmm. avoiding people isolating some of the things that people with this disorder struggle with is an eccentric sense of style. Okay. <laughs> Which I don't normally struggle with, but when I'm more unwell, 
I do kind of don't really care what I really wear at all. I can wear like blue shoes and a bright green top and I'll be absolutely fine. Um, Your mum is nodding head. I mean, it might be good to hear from you as a parent. When did you notice that perhaps Jade was unwell? It took quite a while, actually. She was actually very quite young. She kind of hid herself away from everybody else and we just thought maybe she was just... She was introvert. And because her twin sister, Megan, she is not. She's very extrovert. So we just thought maybe there's two completely different personalities and didn't think anything else at mm-hmm. all. And then she got a little bit older, see, about 12, 13, and things became more apparent. She could keep her temper low and she'd be very, very patient and suddenly she would just snap for absolutely no reason and it was almost as if she became somebody completely different. And then her sense of style went out the window. She's always had some form of style, but it would be a case of one day she would literally wear completely different colour clothing. We're talking from we could be wearing different colour socks, mm. different colour tops, different colour. We're talking a walking rainbow. And yeah. we did used to make a joke about it, and it wasn't till she got to about 16 that we realised that things were not right. So it's quite interesting because you hear this quite a lot and I know certainly my parents struggled with it when I was a teenager and I think a lot of parents struggle with it is to recognise what is just someone being an adolescent and hormonal Mm -hmm. and what is actually a genuine illness that really needs to be taken seriously. Was that something you had problems with? It was trying to work out if there was a problem or whether I was just making a thing out of it or was she just being... teenagers she's trying to find an individual style it was all these things that go over in your head is it me am I just picking out that she's probably not like Megan trying to compare her too much to her sister is she like her friends has she got many friends it was very difficult very difficult and you don't want to stamp a particular label on her and just say Mm. yeah okay she's very extrovert she's very eclectic that's how I used to say it She's very introvert, actually. So what happened? Did you sort of sink into depression? Um, Yeah, I think that's kind of where it started. So I've kind of always had a lot of different friendship groups anyway, and it became very apparent when I was about 13, 14 that I was just flipping back in between people, and I'd never really had any really close friends, and I only realised this very recently that it was because I would get so worried and paranoid about the fact that my friendship group were just going to leave me and that they didn't like me and stuff like that. And first of all, I thought, oh, do you know what, that's normal. But then it became every single group and I was switching groups every year just because I was so worried that they were going to leave me. And so I pushed them away. And it became worse because um, the paranoid thoughts became quite unsettling in terms of thinking that people were following me. I remember there was one incident where I was a mentor to a year seven and I was given this girl because they thought I would work well with her and I ended up thinking that she was stalking me and stuff like that. It's because she was very inquisitive. I remember thinking, do you know what, I can't leave the house, I can't go to school, I'd get so worried about seeing her in the corridor just in mm. case she would approach me and that's when I thought, you know what, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah. So kind of an inability to leave the house, you became sort of a house Yeah, kind of, of I was just so worried that whenever I turned a corner she'd be there and so it kind of grew on that and it linked in because my obsessional thoughts got worse and a friend who I walked to school with she started noticing that I was becoming very anxious on my way walking to school 
because I have to walk on a certain side and not walk over certain things and walk over certain things and then I'd be doing these mental calculations in my mind and I'd always be so set on what I was doing and I remember one day we had you know the green boxes I always walked the left side around it and one day she kind of stopped me from walking around it and it was all just a joke and then I remember getting home from school and being in tears because I couldn't I linked everything bad that happened that day just because because of walking the wrong way around the green box yeah that really resonates with me I have quite serious obsessive compulsive disorder yeah and it's that thing of thinking and also being having to do the ritual otherwise something terrible is going to happen yeah and not being able to kind of relax until you've done it but then of course as soon as you've done it something else comes up yeah something else (laughs) fills that hole yeah also there's that thing did I do it right maybe I didn't do it right I better go around it again and do it again again. isn't there yeah so I mean you were sectioned yes I was yeah so can you talk a bit about what happened how old you were the lead up to that and Claire if you want to come in at any point so I was um, sinking deep into depression not really thinking anything of it and my self-harm became a lot worse Claire you sound like yeah it was a case of nearly once a week I'd say we were going to A&E because, because of Jade self-harm. had harmed herself yeah for Jade it became a, probably remember a matter of fact it was oh look at what I've done but it wasn't in a bad way no it was, it was kind it of relief. more I it wasn't a relief I went into a different place and I think it was sort of like dissociation so I kind of disassociated and tried to bring myself away from what happened because I didn't want to be there in that moment I always remember making jokes Mm -hmm. about the situation at the time I remember self-harming and my mum rinsing the towel out in the bath and me joking that it was like someone got murdered and it was like a bloodbath and at the time I thought it was absolutely hilarious and I remember my mum being so on edge about the situation, like snapping back. But yeah, what was it? The one that you did, and you said to me, "Oh, look, I've got tiger stripes." Mm. Where she cut herself, and I don't remember this. I, I mean, that must be. One I've of got the it very, very things. clear in my mind how it happened and when it happened, and Jade saying what she said. I don't know what she said was not. There was no intent, no malice to it. For her, it was just what she had to do because she couldn't cope it was almost a cry for help mm. yeah. and so that was getting worse and so originally I went into hospital for learning how to control my self-harm behaviours in a controlled environment what in, was that like what was the hospital can you sort of describe a bit to us about yeah. what the I don't think a lot of people kind of know what the setting's actually like and mm. most people assume it's like an asylum but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really not. interesting to hear you know <laughs> to hear the reality yeah and, you know so I was in a waiting room for ages, for hours, waiting for the on-call doctor to assess me to make sure that I was able to go into the ward, write down information. And when I got, got onto the ward, it was very... It wasn't sterile. You could see that it was looked at and risk-assessed and stuff like that, but there were still certain things out because this was an open ward. And all the patients were really lovely, they're all really welcoming. But the one thing that I noticed was that there was, I think there were blue chairs, like literally nailed down into mm-hmm. the ground. And I remember thinking, gosh, those are going to be so uncomfortable. But just walking in, it was just people just like me. It was, at the time, it was um, all girls. And so it was just people all like me, just all struggling with different things. And it was weird being in that environment because I'd never been with 
a lot of people who were really struggling at the same time because normally it was only I knew one other person but we weren't really in the same situation. It's kind of you're just living with a load of people and the bedrooms are so different. I mean, you couldn't have clothes that needed to be hung up in the wardrobe because you couldn't hang up anything in no, the wardrobe. Case, in case it was a, yeah. a risk, a, yeah. a suicide risk, presumably. Yeah. I guess being in hospital made it worse in that respect because you pick up behaviours in hospital that you didn't, you knew of, but you didn't really know how it happened at the time. And I can see why people think that it is a bad thing. It is, but the staff make it so safe most of the time. So how long were you in hospital for? In total, about 18 months. Okay. So but it was meant to be in for two months. Yeah. And then, Claire, do you want to take on the story and what happened? But while she was in hospital? Yeah, so how did you come to be... It was sectioned. really difficult. I've got to be really honest, and Jade will know that. The first day that I left her, she was very relaxed but she knew that they were going to do the best thing that they could for her. But for me, it was extremely difficult because it was for me, I couldn't understand how we had got to the position we were in where Dade was in hospital. Why was she here? What am I doing bringing my daughter here? More to the point, what am I doing leaving my daughter here? Mm. And are they going to do the best for her? And asking myself all these stupid, long-winded questions and going over and over in my head, have I done the right thing? Should she be here? Well, yes, she should. So you were there for two months and you were then sectioned? Uh, yes I was yeah my behaviour escalated to a point where it, um, I had a really serious incident um, one which could have ended really badly. Are you allowed to talk about what that involved? Um, yeah so I tied a ligature and it was the ligature proof area wasn't ligature proof right and uh, nurses came in and on me basically because I only did it a couple of seconds earlier but seeing the panic on their faces I still remember it now I still remember the panic on their faces I remember them get me down and from then on I was put on so you have one-to-ones and um, I was on arm's length so there was arm's length and eyesight so eyesight was just watching them and then arm's length was literally arm's length away so you were always being watched by someone Yes, when I was on one-to-one, yes, I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And because I was talking to my psychologist and he was certain that I was going to put on Section 3, but at the time I didn't have a diagnosis. And um, they can't detain you without a formal diagnosis or an informal diagnosis which they can put on you. And so I was put on Section 2 and um, transferred to another hospital. It's a 28-day period where they assess you Um, And in that time, if they feel like you're ready to become informal again, if you have capacity, you can get taken off your section then. But if Mm -hmm. they decide that you don't have capacity and you're too much of a risk, you have another Mental Health Act assessment and get put on section three. Which is... Which is a... I think it's um, a section for... It's mainly for treatment. It's a Mm -hmm. six-month period time. So you were sectioned... How old were you when you were sectioned, Jade? Uh, 16. 16, yeah. Okay. Can you talk through, Claire, as often these things happen and when they're happening to the actual person, it's a sort of, as you say, kind of disassociated process. But can you talk through what it was like for you as a parent? Difficult. That is one way to describe it, I guess. Knowing that your daughter has been put on to Section 3, that you can argue that she shouldn't be and you've got to have reasonable doubt, but at the end of the day, when you know that your child is very sick, 
and she definitely needs a Section 3. I don't think they'll go out of their way to put someone on Section 3 if they don't need to. So it's that thing of, in our language, so often we use the word, you sectioned. I feel it's really important to know what the reality of that is, which Mm -hmm. is obviously what this documentary is presenting, which is brilliant. You're stuck in that strange place where obviously it's alarming, but you know it's probably the best place for your child. What are the rules on sectioning children? If you're not willing to stay and have treatment in that hospital then that's the main reason why most people get sectioned because they see that in the community you're a harm to yourself or others or others and if you're not willing to stay in the hospital they have to um, force you to stay they have to force you to stay what's it like hearing that that your child is a danger to themselves or others heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking because you're trying to tell yourself that everything's fine Mm -hmm. that this is just a blip Mm. and deep down the side you know it's not and then they throw the final lead at you and say I'm sorry but Jade has been sectioned under the mental health I said what section and they said section three and I've already been doing a little bit of homework Um, on it just to make sure I I did know this was when I was at the other hospital yes and Jade got moved from the first hospital because as soon as they sectioned her it was a case of it was too much for that hospital to deal with so they had to transfer her to a hospital that could cope. This is remarkable to me that you have a seriously ill child being sort of passed from hospital to hospital because... Yep. because Miles away as well. OK, so, it, yeah. I mean, I think this argument is made quite a lot with mental health that yeah. you wouldn't send a stroke patient or someone who'd had a severe heart attack hundreds of miles away yeah. from their family and yet yeah. the same parity does not exist with people with mental health yeah. issues. So you live in Northampton. Yeah. So where did you end up in hospital, Jade? I ended up in Woking. Okay, so that's a, that's a fair old whack. You have other children, and tell me what the hospital was like. Because as we said earlier, there's this notion of... And a lot of hospitals still, they were asylums. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So the, yeah. the names may have changed, but the yeah. infrastructure is still kind yeah. of Dickensian, basically. Yeah. So talk about your experiences. Oh, gosh. I remember that first day at the new hospital so clearly. So I was transferred in a secure ambulance. What's the secure ambulance like? So luckily I was settled at the time, and so I got to sit in the seat at the back if you were unsettled or they felt like you might be able to abscond or run away. It's almost like a cell at the back Mm -hmm. with bars and plastic on it and stuff like that. So you were, they were obviously worried about you harming yourself. Can you explain, were you kind of fighting against people? There can be a lot of fear in these situations. How were you in your person, so to speak? I was so consumed in my own head and all I could think about was harming myself. I wasn't safe enough to be on my own. Um, They thought and I knew that if I was on my own, I would try to kill myself. That was the reason why I was on the one-to-one. Yeah, I was so consumed in myself that I didn't Obviously, I cared about my family, but that wasn't in my mind. I made up all of these things in my head so that it would make sense to me as to why it would be okay for me to go. So I would say, oh, but my mum has other children, my friends have other people. My future wasn't really in anything anyway because I had this plan for ages and um, GCSEs were irrelevant at that point because I was in hospital. And so I would kind of make up excuses to justify to myself as to why it would be okay to do it because it got to that point where I had no rationale as to why I shouldn't do it 
every second of the day I was thinking about the checks, so the different timings about when people were going to check on me so that I could figure out when to do it, how long it would take, what to use, when they were changing over on one-to-one, if they were paying attention, how I could get off one-to-one so I could do it. So all of your energy was devoted basically to working out how you could kill yourself? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're transferred in a safe ambulance? Yes. You were just saying how you can still remember that day so clearly? Yeah. I remember sitting, and I hated it at the time, I sat on the right-hand side, and I hate being on the right. At the time, I was very much within my obsessional thoughts, and I had to be on the left, but they put me on the right. I had two other staff members with me, and one was someone from the NHS um, ambulance service, and another one was a staff member. I remember them playing the radio, but the radio, the speaker didn't come out, so it was the people at the front um, sitting in the van and being so worried at the time. And it, it was weird because I did project design at school and I saw I had all my coursework and they literally just chucked it in the van with my guitar as well. And um, that got messed up and I was so worried, even though I was really not concerned about my GCSEs or anything in that moment I was thinking oh gosh all my stuff is going to get wrecked Mm. and I remember arriving at the place honestly it was absolutely horrific because when you come up when they have new admissions they go in the van and then they close the gate behind you and the male wards were on the right hand side and they always knew when people were coming in and they would shout out and they were allowed to smoke and stuff like that. And then there was the adolescents on the left hand side, it was their courtyard. And it was such a different environment because this was a PQ. A PQ. Everyone, uh, psychiatric. So everyone had yeah. been sectioned? Most people had been sectioned, yeah. Everyone was there because they were severely unwell. Yeah. Uh, you, you clearly, this is really hard for you to talk about. Yeah, sorry, I've got a dry throat. Yeah, well, take some water. <laughs> you know, don't rush yeah, yourself. Great. It's honestly fine. I mean, to me, it seems incredible that, you know, a young girl is taken to... There is not another option. No. So you were taken into this, what does sound like a sort of our perception of an asylum. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Luckily, sort of rattling on the bars and the... <sighs> Luckily, the staff members, the HAs at the time, they were so lovely, and I think that's what differentiates it from being an asylum is that the staff members and the people there are so lovely Mm -hmm. I remember a staff member at the time he had tattoos and I remember he had a a semicolon I remember seeing that he had a semicolon which is the sign of mental health health yeah yeah or you're in support of someone with mental health issues and seeing that it kind of relaxed me a little bit but being on the ward was (laughs) very different because it was a completely different environment People were really, really unwell. I remember someone pacing up and down the corridor and I was put into a room and <laughs> all the other patients were looking in. And I remember when I had got assessed and my background story medication was wrote down, the other patients came in and said hello to me and they were very unwell, but they were so welcoming. <laughs> and that made such a difference in how I was at the time because I internalised a lot of feelings. And so even if I was feeling really anxious, it would kind of be within myself Mm -hmm. and it would be more the thought processes than outwardly showing how anxious I was about going onto the ward. Yeah. I can tell it's really hard for you and I just (laughs) want to like get up and give you a big cuddle (laughs) and say it's okay. So how, can you talk through how you came to be involved in this documentary? Yep. 
So I was part of a feedback group for St Andrews in Fitzroy called Mm -hmm. Fitzroy Forum, but it sure decided whilst we were still there. I remember coming in with the board manager and um, there being no other seats and Holly, the director, she was sat on the end and she was looking really nervous (laughs) and um, I remember sitting next to her and thinking, I don't recognise this woman. Is she, was, she, is she on the ward? Is she a new patient? <laughs> you know, I didn't know. I knew she was a visitor because she had her visitor's lanyard on. And when she was speaking, she was so nervous to speak to the other patients because she thought she would get such a bad reception from mm. it. And she started speaking about it and all the other patients in there were asking about when it would be on, who it would be for, and she didn't really have the answers at the time, but she just told us the basics of it. And I remember thinking "Hmm, that would be a good way to get out some awareness of what's actually going on, but no one had a clear idea of what exactly the documentary would be. We didn't know if it was going to be kind of a community type thing or whether it's going to be individual stories or whether it was going to focus on the system and stuff like that. But it was just kind of going with it and I just I wanted to be involved with it because I thought this is my way to make a difference mm. and to actually get out there what's actually happening and for awareness for people to realise that. Because there's so much stigma around mental health yep. but also around being hospitalised mm-hmm. for mental health purposes and everyone who I've been in hospital with has had bad experiences with people's perceptions of what mental health hospitals are like. Being in A&E is a bad one, actually. So being in a general accident and emergency for a mental health issue, what is that like? Oh, it's You're awful. shaking your head, Claire. No, I have, to say, I have to say this. Seriously, I know that the A&E teams do as much as they possibly can, mm. but what I am absolutely outstanding at is the fact that none of them seem to have any idea about mental health at all, about self-harm. The amount of times I've taken Jade in, and one in particular, and I took her in there, and the nurse took straight at Jade and said, now, what have you done to yourself? You really shouldn't do that, you know? And I said... Oh, well, if it was that easy... She's a mental health patient, seriously. Yeah. She's self-harm. She said, well, she looked straight at me, and if you're her mum, she said, why are you allowing her to do that? I thought, excuse me... Mm. Yeah. It really, it was like this every time. I appreciate they're really pushed and it's not their fault, but there is no training whatsoever for when mental health patients yeah. come in. So they'll treat the actual injury, yes, but they, they won't it. treat the reason behind it. In the meantime, they'll yeah. try to get behind it and find out, why did you do what you did? Yeah. Well, if I knew that, I would have done it, would I? But also um, that attitude of, you know, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Well, it, you know, well, I wish you'd been in my house three hours ago, as if everything was that simple. Yeah. yeah. And I know every hospital has a mental health liaison team, but they're so stretched at the time, it's kind of no one's really on your side apart from the people who are with you if you're Mm -hmm. going. I remember being in hospital and having to go back to the general for dressings and it being dressed because I interrupted the healing process of one of the um, self-harm wounds. And I remember going with a nurse at the time. I was in paediatrics, in the paediatrics A&E, and the doctor came straight in he looked like he had the worst day and I get it working there would be a struggle but it was how he treated me was absolutely awful he said why couldn't you do this at the hospital you were at he didn't know that the place we're at is a psychiatric hospital why don't you have those resources why do you have to come in here and the nurse 
looked him straight in the eye and said, we're a psychiatric hospital, we do not have these resources. And he told me, why don't you just cut your teddy bear instead? Which, because that would be safer. And I was thinking, oh, how arrogant are you? <laughs> like, surely I wasn't even asking to have some sort of conversation where they would understand. I would rather just not be spoken to. You'd rather just be treated. Rather be treated and get out. I didn't want to be there. That was the last place I wanted to be. It seems to me that if you had a child with a severe physical illness, the situation would be very different. And it seems to me that currently the system is such that if I brought my daughter into hospital and said she's got a broken arm and if they turned around to me and said, all right, well, we can maybe treat her in sort of six months' time or yeah. something. <laughs> or, well, why did you break your arm? That was stupid. Do you know what I mean? Why didn't you watch yeah. her? <laughs> why, didn't, why were you not watching yeah. her out the back of your head? There would be, you just, like, there would be absolute <laughs> outrage. And yet yeah. that kind of stuff is happening every yeah. day in, yeah. in this country because of a lack of funding mm-hmm. and because hospitals are so stretched. Now, yeah. obviously, there are bigger reasons, political reasons, that we don't want to get into. What I want to do is sort of just, and what clearly this BBC documentary seeks to do is just tell the story as it is and, mm-hmm. and raise awareness of it also we don't want to scare young people off no. seeking help oh no obviously not, no. you you were in the hospital for 18 months in total yeah. what would be your message to people who have a perception of what being sectioned involves and what being <sighs> in a psychiatric hospital involves just don't judge it unless you know what's happening I mean, there are a lot of things that places have done wrong, but it has no sort of effect in comparison to the good things that they have done right. They've saved people's lives. And I'll just say to people that don't worry about the amount of time that you're there, even if you're there for a week or if you're there for for years. Like, this point in your life is about you. This is the most important time in your recovery. You're not going to come out and be recovered. That's just the reality of it. Mm. You're not going to go in there... And get cured. And get cured. No, No, it's something which is going to be happening for a long time and you've got to work at it. But Every day, like as you would manage a chronic physical illness. If you had diabetes, you would try and eat well, you would take your medicine, you would... Exactly, and it's the same with mental health problems, especially mental health problems. You have to want to recover before it happens. And it sounds stupid saying that I didn't want to recover. I don't think a lot of people realise how difficult it is to recover. It's so much more easier just to relapse than to recover, but it got to a point where it was either I give up or I start trying, and mm. it was the one of the most difficult times of my life, actually picking myself back up again to the point where I was like, I'm going to do this this time. The support of the nurses on the ward and the other patients was probably the main reason of why I'm actually here today. All of them collectively saved my life and because it was, it sounds really emotional but the other patients, they become like family and yeah, a well, lot of them are made, family. Have you made friends? <laughs> I made friends for life. I mean some of them I was with from August to September so I was with for a year and a month and they became family because you're living with them most of the time and when people get leave it's the most wonderful thing. So when you get to see them be well enough to yes, go. Yes, you do. It's like... And it's emotional because it's kind of like you're saying goodbye to someone but you're knowing that they're going on to better things. There was a girl that was in there. There was a few of them that was in there for the whole time that I was there. I remember saying goodbye to her when, when she left and I got so emotional because... We were so close and she was kind of like the light to the ward and whenever she was happy, the whole ward was happy. And whenever she got leave, 
she would kind of slide on her knees and she would go, yes, I got leave. She would go, I got overnight leave. But again, when she was really unwell, the whole ward felt for her and it was just like having a really close family network and the staff were great they were Second like having none, older sisters and old, yeah. or older brothers and they didn't treat you any differently and there was obviously the doctors had to do their jobs but they just understood all the nurses understood and going out on leave with them was hilarious so where would you tell me where you get to go on leave so it depends on your for some people it was their levels or the stage in your um, escorted leave plan so you could have say leave up to a road say co-op or you could go into town and so you'd have because even going to a co-op could be quite a big yeah. thing we yeah. had grounds really big grounds and they were wonderful actually i loved going out with them Even oh they were two just or three amazing they really were it was so great walking it around was, there wasn't yeah it was, it was so quiet a different town of your own place yeah was it was but even going out to the cafe on site was such a big deal and when everyone got to go and we had a drink and because everyone there understood even the people who worked there were either patients themselves and were doing work there to try and build up their time and build up so they could go on to be discharged no one was judging anyone and everyone would say hello and no one would bat an eyelid if someone was shouting or behaves in what normal people yeah. not normal i'm using a lot of quotation marks here, yeah. but ways we may think are eccentric or yeah unusual. yeah and because the hospital had i mean there was mental health patients learned disability brain injury i can't even think about the rest but there's loads of different wards dedicated to certain things but everyone had a mutual understanding that it was okay to be yourself there were several times where me and my mum were out on the grounds and you could see that a lot of them were very unwell but they were on their own and we'd always make conversation Mm. with them Mm. and you'd think you know what literally just a few minutes away if this was a cafe and this person walked out and did the same thing people would react so differently and you know what they're just human (laughs) so this is such a lovely thing what i love is that we can have these experiences and they can break us or they can make us. Yeah. And actually that experience, although awful at times, mm-hmm. has probably given you a completely invaluable view on the world Definitely. and how to treat people with yeah. kindness and without judgment. Yeah. I've never been one to, to judge anyone mm. anyway and I've if my sisters have ever looked at someone differently just because they're different than everyone else or different than <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> I'm kind of like, no, don't look. They can't help it. Don't look. Because I was always kind of wary before of how I was around them. And now I I like hearing their side of the story. Mm. I work down in a place called Workbridge, which is in the hospital grounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had the opportunity to do a placement down there as a service user where I would work in an office environment and be with other service users as well. And we'd have mentors to make sure everyone was on track. A lot of the people down there struggled with learned disabilities, but that was one of the nicest experiences I've ever had in my life, was going in there, people being very wary of me, and by the time that I left, which was about nine months later, being hugged and saying that I was their favourite person. It was the nicest thing, because I do quite well academically, not to... 
Yes, I think, head up here, I but think you should <laughs> blow your yeah. own trumpet. Yeah, this is quite sickening, really. So, I so, so you did well academically. Yeah, go on then. So I was in charge of the accounts from Workbridge, which was just the money coming in from the coffee shop, garden centre, and the canteen within the Workbridge area. So Workbridge does things. They make canvases for customers. There's a wood workshop which they sell to the community. And there's a garden centre. There's the office work which people come in and they have orders and they do mail shots and it goes out and everyone there feels like they're a part of the team. And you were in charge of the accounts. I was in charge mm. of the accounts and that led me to have the opportunity to be able to work in the finance department with the management of accounts, Claire, in Cliftonville House, which was where all um, admin um, people were and even in there people were so lovely so understanding and when I was at college I was asked to go back and do my work placement there I'm not at college anymore but um, so I am what, what are you doing now currently I'm um, looking to do a course at college for teaching because mm-hmm. I ideally like to become a primary teacher mm-hmm. I just want to give back to the teachers. So, so what I'm really interested about, it was so nice hearing about your experiences, you know, of the kind of close-knit community that you had in the hospital. And I think it's really important to not dissuade people from getting help, obviously. Yeah. Because obviously when you get it, when you eventually do get it, it's worth holding on for yes, you know, to, yeah. to actually get it. Yeah. But also what I'm really interested in hearing from you, Jade, is any messages you have for other young girls or boys that may be in your situation who may be self-harming. They may not have the same thing mm-hmm. as you or the same diagnosis as you. They may not even have a diagnosis. Yeah. But they are in a bad place. They're bleak. What would you say to someone who may be listening to this now in despair and not knowing what to do, or to a parent who might be listening and not knowing what to do with a child? What would your advice be? I think the biggest thing, and it made such a difference to me when I actually started doing it, is communicate with people. Whether that's speaking to people, writing things down, using drawings, using cards, email, anything, communicating to people, communicating to people that you trust about things. If it's a parent, communicate with your child or communicate with the person who is struggling. And to say teachers to actually look out, there are definitely certain signs that you can see in students. What would you say those signs were? Isolation Uh is a massive one for a lot of people. I guess not everyone can see it and it doesn't happen for everyone, but I always say it how I realised I was unwell was when I, a lot of times I'm very good at faking a smile and I can do it and I can still see the smile in my eyes, I'm saying in, in commas, but when you don't see that, when I didn't see that anymore, I thought, you know what, no, I can't go on like this. Mm. <laughs> so it's kind of looking out for things like, I sound like a manual for no. how to get help, but um, <laughs> like you sound brilliant. a change in behaviour or oh, I'm not really sure. But that's all really useful stuff. But I think also looking at you now, and I didn't know you before, but <laughs> I think that when you have a mental illness, there are always going to be times when that is the case. And as you said, it's a kind of constant battle, but yeah. there definitely looks to be a sort of sense of hope. Yeah. And in your face yeah you mentioned the joy you felt for everyone on the the days that they got to leave yeah talk me through the day that you got to leave and how that felt oh it was emotional it was it it went from range of happiness to being really apprehensive as to what was to come when you're in hospital after any length of time but after quite a long period of time away from people it's 
really nerve-wracking. Do you almost feel that that's become your sort of home, presumably? Yeah, you it's do, a safe yeah. place. It, it did become my home. You know, there's family were there. <laughs> yeah. Family were there because there's such a sense of community there. Coming out is very scary. I mean, it's great for the first couple of weeks. <laughs> Honestly, it's like I have my phone, I have internet, I can go on social media. That is the first thing that Jade said. I have my phone, <laughs> I can use social it, media all the time. But it wasn't just that, it was... <laughs> Being able to communicate with people I haven't spoke to in a long time and to be honest, there were people which I just cut straight out of my life. I thought, you know what, no, you're not, I'm not dealing with you anymore. There's some really, I'd say, poisonous people who are not good for your mental health at all or for, for anyone's mental Fake health. Fake friends. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you, you really found out who your friends were. Oh yeah, definitely. And coming out speaking to people still communicating with people and being able to speak to i think my sisters especially especially megan my twin sister was great because she didn't like coming into hospital yeah because it was very hard on her um, and she didn't like the environment and Mm -hmm. actually being able to communicate with her and seeing her was the best thing you have literally been through the most extreme example of what one can go through in terms of the psychiatric system in this country and you've come out the other side yes and you know what I think the best thing that someone ever said to me was it's okay to not be okay Mm -hmm. and I think it's about accepting that sometimes you're not gonna feel okay but it is gonna get better don't judge someone by how they are I mean a lot of the times I'm I seem okay but I could be absolutely dying inside and it could be the same. Just treat everyone with kindness. Just everyone with kindness. Just give everyone a chance. Everyone's got something going on that they're battling with. And some people, it's just on on another level, but you never know what someone is going through. So just treat everyone with kindness. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, a comprehensive list of mental health services is available on our website, which is www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld. If you want help right now, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 03001233393. That's 03001233393. And they're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. Finally, there's Young Minds who provide support if you're a parent or a carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808. 802-5544. That's 0808-802-5544. And remember this, you are not alone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.